You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket steps for the double-edged devil bill. This week, Eddie Murphy is Dolomite in the Haunted Mansion. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Nuriani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, you have the two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Nuriani and Adam, your carnivorous pallor, portrays an aura of foreboding. Which is my favorite bit from Delirious. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm Adam Thomas and this is a nice boulder. I like this boulder. <laughs> my favorite bit from uh, Norbit. Oh, of course, yes. Everyone's favorite Eddie Murphy film in general. Yes, absolutely. For sure, for sure. Uh, so, Adam, today on The Double-Edged Devil Bill, where we cover a good and a bad movie that we picked at the end of our last episode, um, we are covering somebody who we really wanted to do an episode about for a very long time. I would argue since the beginning, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I think since the beginning when we were coming up with topics, I want to say he was one of the first ones we mentioned, but we were like, well, let's wait till something comes out. And then things started coming out, but it just never felt like the right time to fit in the schedule because we had other things lined up. Yes, and of course that person is Eddie Murphy. We decided to do this episode this week because the week we're releasing this, uh, Coming to America is coming out specifically with the numerical to differentiate because that that that's so helpful to everybody yes absolutely <laughs> i'm uh not very optimistic i i'm very i have very sort of reserved feelings about that one my only hopes for that one because the trailer wasn't that enticing but my hope is that um based on some of the cast and also the director involved um are involved in one of the features we're actually covering tonight Makes me at least hopeful it'll be a surprise. I'm hoping, man. Uh, that PG-13 is scary. It's scary. It's spooky. And that's not something that Eddie Murphy is unfamiliar with. Uh, we should definitely talk about Because uh, the two movies we're covering are sort of in the back half of his career. But Eddie Murphy, before mm -hmm. he did either of our two features, had a, a solid 20 years of massive success. Which is really interesting given he started on SNL, obviously, when he was 19. Yep. That's amazing. I believe he was the youngest cast member ever until Pete Davidson. I think so. There's not a lot of competition, if anything else. You know. uh, but maybe Anthony Michael Hall, but even then, I'm not sure. Um, if we're counting yeah. that, <laughs> which most people no. don't. No. Really. no. <laughs> um, but, but no, yeah, he was 19 when he started SNL, which is amazing, especially, like, if you've seen any of those older episodes, like, that was right after the big Ready for Primetime players left, like Belushi and Aykroyd, all those big people, and it was very dire for that show, like the season afterward. If you've seen any of that stuff, it's rough. And then I think the season after that, they retooled and fired the cast, but kept, I believe, Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo were like the two people that carried over. And Murphy was literally carrying that show on his back because he was like the only thing people cared about at that time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you, know, you go back and watch this stuff. Some of it, um, I would say, isn't very 
topical anymore, but it's a lot of it is still so funny, and he's great in it. You can't take your eyes off Eddie Murphy. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits ever is Eddie Murphy. It's the James Brown hot tub. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's such a stupid, simple idea, but he puts so much gusto into it, and it's so ridiculously funny. I think one of my favorite bits is, it's not the whole sketch, but it's just a moment where he's doing some sketch where he's talking to the camera, and he flubs a line, and people laugh, and he says, So if I messed up, shut up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's even more on his side. That's what's so great is that he has that kind of like young determination that makes it work. And then obviously that led into his film career with like 48 Hours was the first big one, which was your alternate choice that we almost picked for the episode. And it really seemed rolled especially after Beverly Hills Cop, which is a famous example of like Sylvester Stallone wanted to do this, but then he dropped out. And so we have this basic ask cop script. Eddie, do you want to like make it funny? And he made it so funny that that movie got nominated for like best original screenplay. Because of his ad libs. Yeah, it's so good. And I mean, the thing is, you said it best, dude. I mean, for 20 solid years, he was such a huge, huge star. And I mean, he's never really, I wouldn't say he's necessarily faded. Because he still popped up in like, you know, great critical reaction and like dream girls. And obviously he's the voice of Donkey in the Shrek franchise and things like that. He, He has done some junk, but he's always still been relevant. I would say for at least a solid, I, I wouldn't even say just 20 years, like 40 year period from the 80s through like the 2000s. He was pretty like yeah, consistent. I mean, this last decade, I'm not as sure of aside from like a couple of like bright yeah. spots because he just didn't do that many movies, honestly, which you don't blame him given going from like 19 to around like 40, 50 and being like consistently in big, huge movies. I could see like, I'm going to take a break for a decade basically, but It seems like, especially given one of our features we're talking about, he might be on an upswing, which I'm for if he can keep up, uh, as we'll talk about later, that that kind of upswing he currently has. Absolutely. If he keeps delivering uh, performances and sort of not obvious big mainstream movies for Eddie Murphy, uh, I'm all about it, for sure, for sure. Yeah, especially considering just, like, the weird breath, especially in the 80s, where, like, not only was he a massive, like, TV star but also a big movie star, a big stand-up star, and even musical star If you've for a brief period with Party All the Time, which is bizarre. Also, his whole, like, the albums he did after that are bizarre. It's such a weird, like, music career. Yeah, he did that one with Michael Jackson. What's up with you? Yes, a very weird, very yeah, weird video in particular. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, but I'm curious, Adam, what about your personal journey? Where did that kind of start for you with Eddie Murphy? Where do you remember first glomming on to... Mr. Murphy. I mean, honestly, probably Beverly Hills Cop. I saw that at a very young age. I know I saw 48 Hours as well, very young, but I definitely preferred Beverly Hills Cop, uh, if not just for sort of the side characters around him, too, are all really good as well. And it's a little bit more, uh, you know, silly in tone than 48 Hours. But yeah, I I mean, ever since I can remember, I've known who Eddie Murphy was. Um, I, I just, I'm always been a real big fan of his and and he's one of the stars like i would equate him to like well not necessarily in what he's done but to like robert downey jr things like that that when they do come back and have another big hit you're so excited you're like yes i want you back so bad and like i said just i've i've always always liked eddie murphy you know and the thing is a lot of people he, he had his scandal thing with the with the uh sort of um you know, the sex scandal with the prostitute and things like that. But that's it. 
and nowadays it wouldn't even really be a big big deal it's just that's it he's always been sort of private and kept to himself and just really just pumped out good good work and taken a lot of chances i mean we talked about vampire in brooklyn already and it's like why is eddie murphy doing this but then again why isn't he doing it he wanted to do it because he liked the hills have eyes i mean that's just eddie murphy man yeah that's interesting given he started at 19 there's not like any other big skeletons as of yet revealed for yeah. his closet that's, <laughs> for God, sure that's old, huh? yeah hope knock on would yes um but i mean for me i remember i probably came on to him a bit more like during his family film period i think probably the earliest thing i probably saw was mulan honestly in a theater which for the record is really weird given he is the weakest part of that movie and doesn't fit like at all <laughs> in that fucking movie and yet with that being said it's still a very very fun funny voice acting performance it's just the character itself doesn't fit in the movie but he's still really funny well and if nothing else it definitely was the precursor to like donkey and shrek for sure with that yeah, absolutely, but, absolutely. but but then my dad sort of exposed me like oh what about like the night professor and some of the other family things and then gradually introduced me more to like the seat the the more r-rated material particularly i remember watching the comedy central edit of coming to america and loving it and then he's like oh let's watch like i have the dvd let's watch it this way and I was probably around like eight, and that's not <laughs> not that's a good filthy. age to watch. Yeah, that's a filthy movie. It's a filthy movie. What does Even... dumb fuck mean? <laughs> Even though it's very weird, that movie is very filthy, but also it's basically structured like a Disney animated like prince or princess movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Because it's basically like reverse Aladdin. Because he's like pa- yeah, prince no, turns right. into pauper yeah. <laughs> to get a yeah, his girlfriend. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. But yeah, that, that was also one that and um, Trading Places as well when I was a kid, because my dad loved both those movies. And I mean, I was a kid watching those as well. Really shouldn't have been. Right. I'm so still have such fond memories of those movies, like sitting there laughing because my dad's laughing and almost in tears because he's laughing so hard. So, of course, you know, laughter is infectious. And plus, you want to laugh with your dad when you're a kid. So I do have fond memories of those. And now I watch them today. And, you know. They do still hold up. I mean, Coming to America is very problematic, but it's still funny. The comedy beats still work. Sure, and Trading Places has no problematic material whatsoever to it. Well, that's all. what I meant. I'm sorry. I meant Trading Places. <laughs> I did not mean Coming Trading Places is very problematic. Uh, but, you know, even with all that, there's still great comedic beats to it. Eddie Murphy is not unfamiliar to problematic territory, particularly if you watch the stand-up specials, which I did rewatch, and particularly, like, Delirious yes. and Raw are just such an interesting watch because it's like every 15 minutes it goes from the most horrific material of the time that doesn't age well at all to like brilliance like absolute fucking brilliance and it was even notable just because like that dude was such a big star and he was a black entertainer who was like that massive a star that really hadn't happened that much prior to this like the closest examples would be like a richard pryor or maybe a Bill Cosby, which for the record, the best bit in Raw is still the filth, flarn, filth bit, which ages yes. like a fine wine now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you know, it's funny, you watch Raw and Delirious, and then you watch like newer Dave Chappelle stuff, and I mean, does he wearing his Eddie Murphy, you know, influence on his sleeve or what? I mean, there was the great bit from the SNL that Eddie Murphy returned to, which is probably the best mm-hmm. SNL episode in ages, where Dave Chappelle was like, during the monologue, saying like, I modeled my entire career off of you. That's all I did. It's like, true. That's exactly what you did, Dave. Oh, man. You know, not to keep going on about, but that skit, the Home for the Holidays skit from that SNL episode, brings home her white boyfriend. Oh, my God, was I dying. 
and also a really good use of even some of his older characters, like particularly the Mr. Robinson bit. It's like an actually yep. like really great update on that particular thing. But we, we're going a lot on Amy Murphy in general. we got to get to our specific films, Adam, that we chose the end of our last episode. We had my two bad picks, your two good picks, and we ended up with uh, my bad pick, ultimately, of The Haunted Mansion, which we'll talk about first. Afterward, we'll talk about your good pick of Dolomite is My Name, which will be quite fun to talk about. But let's get first into The Haunted Mansion. This is the ancestral mansion of the Gracie family. It's a real fixer-upper. With a Victorian ballroom, secret passageways, spacious grounds with room for the whole family, and a mystery that has cursed the house for over 100 years. But no one told the Evers family. Honey, you know they have uh, dead people in the backyard. Dark spirits from the grave come forth. Don't you make no dark spirits come out while I'm sitting there. Wait till I leave before dark spirits come out. The Haunted Mansion. So The Haunted Mansion uh, came out on November 26, 2003. Perfect time for a horror-themed film. Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, is uh, obviously based on the Disney attraction of The Haunted Mansion, which I've talked about before. I'm a pretty big theme park boy, being from uh, Florida. And I would say the Haunted Mansion is probably, like, my favorite overall attraction over there, honestly. I know you're not a theme park guy in general, but you've ridden the Haunted Mansion, I'm sure, before, right? Yeah, I've been to Disney World and, you know, Epcot and all that stuff. And and that is one of, like, the few memories from my childhood that I have of that park is the Haunted Mansion ride. I, I was absolutely enthralled by it. It's so good. Yeah, and one of the ones I would argue of the various different ones Disney has done at adaptations of for film of their theme parks like we talked about country bears doesn't really seem like it would work as a film haunted mansion much more arguably would work perfectly especially as like an introductory horror movie for a kid would work perfectly you would think right and i think before we go into any of like the huge faults this movie has i think the biggest (laughs) trouble i have with it is that it aesthetically is kind of a perfect Haunted Mansion movie. Like, the look of the mansion, the look of the ghosts, some of the cats, even, like, Terrence Stamp is sort of our main ghost character. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god, this is, like, so perfect. And even Rick Baker does some of the makeup designs for, like, the zombies that appear later on. It's like, oh my god, this looks so perfect. And then the trouble is the story has to interrupt. Yes, I completely agree. Aesthetically, this movie is exactly what you said you think the haunted mansion should be as a film sort of a gateway horror movie for kids where it's still sort of fun and exciting but aesthetically it's still spooky yeah it looks great unfortunately the padding of this movie and the aesthetic is the only good thing about it the 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 main story feels like the padding part right Uh, it mainly follows the evers family led by eddie murphy who is a real estate uh overworker the classic disney dad trope that worked in, like, Mary Poppins, and they just really bled that trope dry throughout, like, especially the 90s and 2000s, of just, like, you work too hard, and your family doesn't feel like you appreciate them that much. So we're going to have a wild scheme where we end up, like, going to this mansion over the course of a weekend, and then it turns into a spooky effort here where it's uh, Eddie Murphy as the dad, Marsha Thomason as uh, Sarah Evers, and then their kids are also there, and they have to try and get out of a spooky mansion. Yeah. That's a good way to describe the plot. The kids are also there. Um. 
<laughs> Mark John Jeffries and Ari Davis as the two kids, for the record. But yes, they are there. They are there. Uh, they one's afraid of spiders, and the other one's about to become a teenager. I guess is her thing. Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah she she's tough. I don't know. I don't get it. But yeah, you know, the thing is, it's just everybody around them, even Eddie Murphy, is so much more interesting. Yes. You said Terrence Stamp, Wallace Shawn, Jennifer Tilly. They're all so fun in this, and they are totally on board for what it should be. It's just, and and Eddie Murphy is for half of it, too. When he's playing the sort of fun, comical, scared, scaredy cat part, he's, he's decent. It's just when there's any sort of dramatic emoting or anything it's just he's just basically if you even can call it sleepwalking through it yeah i think half is very generous um because i think my biggest problem with eddie in this movie is that like in general like eddie is an odd choice to star in a haunted mansion movie on like basic principle but if you think about like hey what if like axel foley went to a haunted house that sounds like it could be fun right that sounds like it could be like a fun horror comedy kind of thing that would really work but the problem is like like eddie i've seen in full-on like great brilliant comedic turn and i've seen an autopilot where like he's not really invested but he's at least serviceable and this is just like him at absolutely nothing he is like empty on the gas tank and it's just like i am a placeholder person here because like nothing he says is like really funny no i agree it's it's more um reactionary comedy than actual funny jokes it's just him being scared and freaking out that's where you're supposed to get your laughs from and i mean that might work for kids i'm not sure i've never watched this with a a kid like i don't know if kids would like this movie i i just i know being um you know at the age i am now and everything it, it just it there's nothing in this movie that really appeals to me other than aesthetics. And that's really weak too, because setting through a, an hour and 45 long movie just because of aesthetics is not an easy feat to accomplish. For the record, it's 89 minutes, but I get why it felt about that long. Cause like, but I will say Adam, as someone who like, I was a kid when this movie came out and I saw this movie in a theater, I think mainly on the strength of like, I, I loved Shrek. I loved like the, um, the Haunted Mansion especially, and especially this was the same year, we should mention, as the Pirates of the Caribbean coming out that summer previous. And it was sort of like, oh man, maybe theme park attractions from Disney can like make really good movies. And I was pretty excited for this. I, I don't remember obviously like hating it, I don't think, because I was like smaller. I was just like, oh, that was, that was a movie. And I just went on with my day. Um, but yeah, it doesn't leave like, I guess, like a much of a lasting impression necessarily aside from admittingly, like we said, the aesthetic stuff, I think looks so incredible, particularly, I think my favorite scene of the movie is when they go into the crypt and I think has some of the few moments that are kind of funny from Eddie where like, there's a bit where they're getting chased by the zombies and they go up just like, look, uh, I know you're scared of spiders, son, but, uh, the, 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 you, everyone's scared. Everyone can be scared. Just open the door. <laughs> like he's really trying to get him to open the door. Some of that stuff is funny, but yeah, it's. It's still very weak on the comedy, but the only thing keeping you engaged at all is, like, I love the look of those ghosts. I love the look of the actual, like, crypt that they're in. It looks so perfect for, like, what would be a fun gateway horror movie. Yeah, I agree. And Terrence Stamp can really walk down a hallway, can he? <laughs> True, yes. He does, he, that. <laughs> he does that quite frequently. But, yeah, no, I agree. It, 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 looks, it looks legit as hell. It, it's just... And then the weak sort of story behind it, it's something that you've seen a hundred times done before where, you know, 
the rein supposedly reincarnated lost love of this ghost or evil person, whatever, has now come back, and he's going to do whatever it takes to have her. And it's just the only thing they added was that there was a twist that you know the butler blah blah blah. The and butler like, did it. Just, Never. <laughs> the butler did it. But I've seen this a hundred times, done way better and funnier, or even scary. And this is just doesn't hit any of those sort of notches there's also one other weird thing given that like eddie murphy and his family are an all-black cast like there's a another factor to that where like the you're you're mentioning the the character the nathaniel parker character of master edward gracie is in love with a yep. woman who looked similar to uh the marcia thomason character so it's like oh. there's a lot of like really loaded racial implications to that yeah they dance around oh they dance around it like some ghost at the haunted mansion ball they, they yeah. do not address it more directly than dancing around it. Um, it was, you know, oh, it, was a, it was a forbidden sort of love or it was very blah, blah, blah. And so you get the idea that she might have been a slave or something like that or like the house mistress. Especially when it looks a lot like sort of the, the Disney the theme park, the outside attraction. So it looks a lot like a plantation, which is there's a lot of implications to that. Yeah, but, that, but that's the thing, though. That's what makes it an interesting story at the same time. That would, in theory, but I think the problem it is that, would. it's like you're mentioning, is that, like, it's only really in the casting and on the page, it could have just been like, a, oh, you were from a slightly lower class family, so we couldn't have you around. Like, it feels like, unfortunately, you could have been switched out with any, like, white family, pretty much. That's true. My thing, I, I agree with you, because my thing is, if you're going to do it, and I understand it's a Disney movie and everything like that, mm -hmm. and you don't have to go full bore into it. No. But you can still have that be part of it that she was you know one of the servants and things like that you could still do it without going like raising all these issues where kids would be like what you could still do it and have it make sense for adults who are watching it instead of adults watching it go why are they even trying like just go for it then we should mention with disney this is at the tail end of the michael eisner era he was a big proponent of like making all these theme park things into movies and surprisingly the one that he thought would not work the most would be pirates of the caribbean Right. Fucking Michael yeah. Lesnar. Um, but he, Lord or Lord Farquaad, as he's also known. That's as. true, he looks a lot like Lord Farquaad. You can clearly tell this feels so scrubbed in a way of like particularly a lot of like nineties, early two thousands Disney does, where it's like we're gonna really balance everything so no one is offended, but also no one's really entertained at the same time. Is what it just kind of feels like ultimately with that. And like even as someone who's like a fan of, you know, that era, like I grew up a lot in that like sort of Disney era and even going to the theme parks and stuff, there's a lot of references to the ride. Like particularly there's a whole sequence where like Eddie Murphy and the kids are in the carriage and there's a bunch of fucking Easter eggs that are directly out of the ride that I recognize completely. And I'm like, those are cool Easter eggs. But then you cut to Eddie and he's just like, nice job. Oh man, look out kids. Yeah, but here's the thing about that too. It's it, they are cool Easter eggs. I get that, but you got to figure they're Easter eggs for people who have actually been on the ride who love it that much. Mm -hmm. For Tom, Dick, and Harry who have never even been there or only been on it once and don't really remember it. So, my thing is, if you're going to make it based on the ride, then make it based on the ride. Include those original characters. Really do something fun with them instead of just having them be sort of window dressing. That if it's a blink and you miss it sort of idea. Right, yeah, particularly when they do the hitchhiking ghosts, which are arguably, like, the icon of the ride, is, like, the three hitchhiking ghosts. And then they have them actually spout some dialogue, and it's really lame. It's just like, he can't see me. It's so bad. It's really bad. It's so <laughs> Yeah. I get why, 
why someone like an Eddie Murphy would do this movie. Obviously, it's a big Disney movie. They, you know, pretty good budget. They had success prior with a theme park ride movie. And he had had success with, like, not just, like, the, like the Night Professor and Dr. Doolittle. Like, this was peak him being in family films territory. Family, family, yeah, family comedy, Eddie Murphy. It's just, this is such a miss on so many levels to where it doesn't know what it wants to be. Like you said, they, it's, it's a classic Michael Eisner to where we don't want to offend anybody. We actually don't even really want to scare the kids. We don't want to do anything like that. So here's just this milk toast vanilla ass movie that doesn't lean into anything it's trying to do at all. And I still hope beyond hope at some point we can get another Haunted Mansion related thing. Like for a while, Del Toro was going to do like his thing. He announced it like a Comic Con mm-hmm. and I was really pumped for that. And I never really materialized. It keeps like vaguely coming up. At certain points, uh, but he basically kind of took a lot of that design stuff, in particular, and made Crimson Peak, which has like a similar, right. like sort of looking aesthetic. And even like there was the rumor that like Ryan Gosling was going to do it, which makes sense if you've have you seen the video like from a couple of years ago where he was like he's at Disneyland and somebody asked him uh-huh. about like how the Haunted Mansion over there um, during like the Christmas months becomes the Haunted Mansion holiday, like from October through December or whatever, like with Nightmare Before Christmas yeah, characters. No. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never seen that. Right, that, that happens, but Ryan Gosling is, like, talking to some random fan who's just like, uh, hey, so how do you feel about, like, Haunted Mansion holidays? Like, it's some fucking bullshit. It should be the Haunted Mansion during October. Fuck the Haunted Mansion holiday. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> and he would be, I think, perfect for especially, like, a Haunted Mansion kind of, like, uh, main character. He feels like he could be one of those portraits in the Haunted Mansion. Like that makes a lot yeah, of sense. I'll tell you what, for modern Ryan Gosling, if he was going to go into more family-friendly kid stuff, that would be a good vehicle for him. Right. Something like that, for sure. I definitely agree. Uh, my thing is, just do it animated. Do an animated thing. True. That's that To me, that's the way to do it. Just go animated. Make it fun. Make it a little spooky animated for kids. But, you know, like something like Paranorman or something like that. Do something like that. Could you imagine if Leica got a hold of this? It'd be amazing. Sure. Even like something in the vein of like a Hotel Transylvania even. I think where it's like more uh-huh. comedy, but even like still has that spooky aesthetic. I think that could really work for Disney. I guess especially before we go into um, our next feature, I do want to ask, how do you feel about sort of this point in particular of Eddie's career with like the... Uh, sort of family film aesthetic. Do you feel like this really worked for him or do you feel like this is where you started kind of tipping off from him? I think it worked for him as far as making him more accessible to younger audiences. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of a smart play where like parents like, oh man, I love Eddie Murphy. You know, these movies that are of his, like even people my age, like, oh, I loved these movies as a kid or I've seen these movies. Well, maybe a little bit older than me. But then they start having kids and yeah, you take your kids to go see an Eddie Murphy movie and you're not going to have to worry about explaining you know, what fuck means or why there's nudity or things like that. So I get it. It's a really smart play to sort of keep himself relevant. Um, just unfortunately, the material that he started to do, I'd say post the first Nutty Professor and maybe that's it because I don't not really a fan of Dr. Doolittle. Um, and other than like Shrek, I, I'd say it was just real bland stuff like daddy daycare and things like that. Just real sort of stereotypical comedy family comedy fair and i don't think it necessarily hurt him too bad but it definitely didn't help either it's one of those things where he definitely sacrificed any kind of like clout for the sort of like money at that point which i mean it really worked for him obviously as you mentioned but at the same time yeah it like that's the point where eddie murphy really became like a joke on his own 
Uh, yeah. Like, the, not too yeah. long after this is, like, them parodying the Clumps thing in Tropic Thunder, the Jack Black's character, or shit like that. Right. Where, like, they're, they're right. making fun of just, like, oh, he likes doing, like, the multiple roles, but it's more of a gimmick, and he's sort of become, like, a parody of himself. And I think that's, at the same time, that kind of is what fueled, eventually, him doing stuff like a Dreamgirls, or even, as we go later on to our next feature, like, I think it's it definitely sort of fueled him, eventually, coming back in his own right, after he kind of got stuck in that slump especially after this you get to stuff that like just doesn't like really exist like meet dave or yeah. imagine that <laughs> like no one gave a shit about <laughs> i don't even know what imagine that is to be honest with you meet it's... dave i know of yeah it... i mostly know of it meet dave to be fair because of the weird car promoting did you know about this yes <laughs> yes 100 percent. that's gonna say that's what i know because of that giant eddie murphy head right where there was if you don't know folks there was a car used to promote meet dave that was really just eddie murphy's head on wheels Yes, how fucking weird and creepy and crazy. But more importantly, how much would you want to have that as your car? <laughs> oh, dude, are you kidding me? I drive it everywhere. <laughs> I Tokyo drifted up to the club. <laughs> of course, yes. Uh, we've really uh, just floated away from the Haunted Mansion. So, Adam, your final thoughts on the Haunted Mansion. It's bland. It's boring. It, it's really, really forgettable. Other than the aesthetics... There's really nothing here. Like, I, I can't even name you a joke that I remember or that made me laugh in it. They, there's really nothing here, for, especially for, you know, sort of people my age and your age. It's it just, it doesn't hold up. There's no lasting power to it. It exists. It was a good paycheck for Eddie Murphy, you know, and that's basically all it is. And this was my bad choice, and I definitely decided for this, nothing else, because it isn't at least, like, the worst of the worst that I could have chosen. Like, Eddie has done such, like, like the worst I would still say is Norbit, right? That is the worst. Yeah, if you would have done Norbit, I I, I would have, I will, I wouldn't have quit, but I would have been really upset. <laughs> and that's what I expect, though, to be honest. Right, or like Pluto Nash or Beverly Hills Cop 3, like, those are more bottom tier. Yeah, I tower heists shit like that would have been like way more bottom of the barrel material as opposed to, i think this one is just more frustrating to me as just like a fan of these parks where in theory they're like oh it'd be perfect for you but it's like no it's just a trouble of like it has like the skeletal structure of what i would want out of a haunted mansion movie even like some of the dramatic stuff with the story could have worked if that really dared slightly to lean in a bit further into it but then they just really have hang it so heavily on eddie murphy and he is just not that invested in doing anything. Even as much as, like, you mentioned, like, while Sean is fun, Jennifer Tilly as Madame Leota, like, it looks perfect. Like, oh my god, this is the ride. Just as a movie. And then the trouble is that the movie isn't a movie. <laughs> it's 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 more of just, like, a layover for an interesting kind of, like, Pawnee Mansion-themed movie that ultimately ends up being nothing. So, unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's still a, a very uh, well-deserved forgotten effort from Eddie Murphy, for sure. Um, but before we get into our good feature, here is a promo for an ESO she can queue up right after ours. What is the Rusted Robot Podcast? Hey there, this is Sean. This is Josh. And this is Kitty. We're your weekly geekly pop culture news. We talk about comic books. Movies. Anime. Celebrity deaths. <sighs> collectibles. Toys. Movie news. Upcoming trailers. And so much more. Check us out on the ESO Network and everywhere podcasts are found. Your nerdy news specialist, the Rusted Robot and, Podcast. And uh, let's go ahead and get into our good feature now with Dolomite is my name. Hey, you know, Auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy! 
comedy. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. All my life, people been telling me no. Rudy, sometimes our dreams just don't come true. A man slam a door in my face. I just find another door. I want the world to know I exist. I get up in that light with my own movie. I could be everywhere all at once. Let's bring Dolomite to the screen. Action. God damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. So, uh, Dolomite is my name. Uh, just a couple years ago, October 4th, 2019, uh, on Netflix, and was a big passion project for Eddie Murphy because uh, this is based on a true story. Uh, it is about the life of Rudy Ray Moore, who was a comedian, actor, uh, musician, who Murphy kind of looked up to as sort of like an influence. And if you don't know Rudy Ray Moore, he was uh, sort of famous for um, these very raunchy uh, albums that came out in the 70s that he eventually spun off into a film career where he particularly played the character of Dolomite, who was sort of like a black exploitation style hero in some of the weirdest movies that come out around that time, which is saying like a lot. <laughs> um, he has like some of the most bizarre sort of films. Were you familiar with Rudy Moore before like watching this anime? I've heard of Dolomite before, you know, just because I, I went through a little bit of a uh exploitation phase where I was watching Shaft, Foxy Brown, Sugar Hill, you know, The Mac, all those movies, and Black Caesar, and re- really enjoyed them. Dolomite's one I never really got to, but I've heard of Rudy Ray more before because there are some sort of classic hip-hop songs by, like, I think KRS-One does one, I think he's mentioned in a Wu-Tang song, things like that, where a lot of, uh, you know, sort of old-school hip-hop guys credit him as one of the fathers of uh, hip hop and the way his, the way he would rhyme and sort of his speech patterns and things like that. So I, I was aware of who he was, but not to the level while watching this movie, I knew anything that was coming. Right. Yes. Including Snoop Dogg, who was in the movie briefly has cameo uh, was a very big uh, fan of Rudy Moore. It's a point where he said like, there wouldn't be a Snoop Dogg sort of career without Rudy Ray Moore because in the movies Rudy Ray Moore would do these like rhyming couplets that you mentioned sort of like a weird comedy thing stuff like uh, they think I'm good and ain't got no class or I'm gonna rock this shotgun up this motherfucking ass like shit like that yeah. that's just like bizarre weird shit um, but yeah that really caught him with people including Eddie Murphy who was such a big fan like he became like close to Rudy Ray Moore during like his last years and actually commissioned the writers of this movie who are Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, uh, to write it, and also, like, met with Ray Moore to, like, talk about, like, the production of Dolomite and some other things. And those two guys are two of my favorite screenwriters, because they're the team that have done stuff like, they wrote Ed Wood, The People vs. Larry Flint, uh, Man on the Moon. I think they're really good, especially at biopic movies about yeah. weird outsider types, and this fits perfectly for them. They got such a handle on doing these sort of obscure character biopics and yet making them relatable. You know, this movie fits right up there with the other ones you mentioned as far as quality as well. Right. We should mention you picked this as your good pick, but you hadn't actually seen it before because you were kind of saving it for this episode. Yeah, purposely. Yeah, I I, I purposely avoided it this long because I knew whenever we were doing an Eddie Murphy episode, this was definitely going to be one of my choices. Absolutely so glad that I did because I watched this the other night not really knowing what I was getting into because I kind of avoided a lot about it. I didn't know if I was going into a straight comedy or a biopic, or a drama, or, or what it was, and I, I'm pleased to say it's a combination of all of those things, and it's it works beautifully. 
I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say that because this I saw this around the time when it came out and it was one of my favorite movies of 2019. I really loved it, um, particularly because like I wasn't even as I I knew of Riri more in a similar way and I wasn't aware of like just the specifics of it. And actually, before this watch, I ended up re watching like the four major ones that he did, the sort of four major films, including Dolomite, The Human Tornado, P.D. Wheatstraw, and uh, Disco Godfather. And having that knowledge only increased really my love of this movie because Riri more as depicted especially by Eddie Murphy here, which it's not, like, the most accurate depiction, like the other movies that those screenwriters wrote. But at the same time, it gets so much of, like, the spirit fully alive with, like, Rudy Ray Moore at this point in the movie is, like, in his late 40s. He's a comedian who hasn't really made it. He has, like, some club gigs he's able to do on the side, but it doesn't get him anything big, and he's kind of, like, looking forlorn and regretful about, like, man, I, I haven't really hit that much. I'm, I'm like, a has-been. I'm not going to be able to do anything. And then he decides to come across this character that's influenced by a bit of, like, knowledge from, like, uh, black folklore characters that, like, he, especially a lot of homeless people or even that he meets or some of, like, the older folks in his life, like, talked stories about a Dolomite and did some of these rapping and rhyming schemes. He ended up kind of integrating that into a character of Dolomite. And it's so great seeing Eddie particularly play this kind of character because Rudy Moore is weirdly, despite being a hero, like, the exact opposite story of Eddie Murphy where he hit so young right. versus Rudy Moore did not hit it at all until he was, like, near 50. And Eddie still was able to, like, put so much of that enthusiasm and love and affection for this dude who's, like, saying really dirty, weird shit at a comedy club and rises to the top. It's so endearing to watch. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, Eddie Murphy gives it so much heart and, and just love to it to where he makes Rudy Ray Moore such a... I don't want to say sympathetic character because I don't really simp like feel bad for him because he does ultimately sort of achieve his dream, but he performs it in such a way to where you can see the miles on the character that he's been trying forever to to hit it big, and he he's so endearing as a character and and especially the way he not necessarily self centered but he's definitely egotistical in a way where he wants to succeed he wants everybody to know his name he wants every, dolomite and rudy ray Moore to sort of be a household name but he also is trying to take care of his friends and help people out at the same time and it, it's just the adjective i use for it it's a sweet movie yes i think that's perfect and also i think that fits a certain thing that not a lot of people talk about with eddie murphy but especially once he hit big around like the late 80s into the early 90s like he really liked bringing up especially black talent at the time like he's the main reason like chris rock who pops up in here ended up having a career who's like a protege of eddie murphy and he put him in like beverly hills cop 2 and she's like he's been doing that throughout like his career and i feel like that really translates beautifully with like his relationships with like mike epps and craig robinson and titus burgess who i love from uh, kimmy schmidt is in here um, yeah he's the, really good he's really fucking funny like but like he gives these guys like really fun roles and even especially uh divine joy randolph as lady reed i love their kinship so that they they form here yes. or if, if it's like she says like they meet at a bar and she's just like man i'm not like are you hitting on me or whatever like i'm, I'm not pretty i'm and she's like this big heavy set like black woman and he's like no like look I'm, I'm not trying to hit on you i think you have like a lot of chutzpah and charm that i would love to see You're on you like the stage quality. yeah you got story right. quality exactly you have like a personality like me like i'm not the most attractive person like they talk about that constantly how he's like oh you're kind of a doughier dude but he perseveres and makes his own niche and i and i love again not knowing the true story uh the whole time at least for the first 20 30 minutes of their on-screen relationship i'm like are they gonna get together 
And I'm so glad that they didn't, even though I know it's based on a true story, but you're still watching a piece of drama. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that they didn't because it just made such more of a beautiful story to where they're just really good friends and they truly care about each other from a friendship perspective to where, you know, she's eternally grateful for him and he relies on her for uh, just someone to sort of bounce ideas off of and sort of vent to and everything. And she's always there for him. He's always there for her. I, I just thought it was such a beautiful friendship. You know, it, it was really, really something special. Dude, the moment, the moment near the end of the movie, like when they go to the film premiere, but like, oh, I, like oh. I'm so happy that you gave this opportunity to me because I, I've never seen somebody like myself on the screen. Like that, that's the moment where honestly, this is a very silly, funny, awesome movie. But like the last 10 or 15 minutes, I'm like in tears. It is such a emotionally honest, beautiful bit. It's so good. And then he finally gets what he wants. And then, uh, you know, he doesn't even go into the show. He comes out there and entertains the crowd because that's what they're there for. And they're oh going to be outside. God, so, good. so he's gonna... <laughs> And he goes up to that little boy who loves him so much. <laughs> Gives him his cane. You're like, oh, fuck. But, you know, since we're talking about the other cast, I, uh, Wesley Snipes, he is the flat out comedic bit, the comedic character in the movie. Like he is the straight slapsticky comedic character he plays Dervil Martin who was like a real actor and guy who directed Dolomite and apparently had this actual contentious relationship with Rudy Moore and everyone else where he thought he was too high and mighty because he'd been like in a small part in Rosemary's Baby and shit like yeah, that yeah he was an elevator operator in Rosemary's Baby right yes and but yeah and this was also not just for Eddie Murphy like a big comeback but also even for Snipes because this is not too long after like he had come out of prison and he was doing a lot of straight to video like bad stuff <laughs> that was just populating his career and the only big screen thing he did after prison, I want to say, was like Expendables three. Right. Other than that, it was just straight to straight to video, straight to streaming, sort of action schlock. Right. And he came back with this, which he'd been like funny in some of his action movies before, but this is his first like full on comedic performance in at least a long time, and he is so perfect. Particularly the bit where they're shooting the the car kung fu scene. <laughs> And he's reacting to it, and he's, like, putting fucking vodka in his orange juice, and then he's like, oh, how's that? And he's like, I don't see why we would have to do it again. <laughs> yeah, like, so... yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then the, my favorite my favorite sort of Wesley Snipes bit in this, where he's being so pretentious, and he's acting like, you know, he's the greatest actor, and, like, he's so much better than these people. But then when it shows him acting in the movie, he's terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so bad <laughs> it just it it makes it so much like where he gets his comeuppance but not in the obvious way yes. it, it's so good it's so good and even his exit from the movie was just like well we're done everyone did a great job <laughs> but i'm off uh, I'll, see at the, I'll see you at the premiere actually i probably won't be at that motherfucker because i ain't gonna be one <laughs> but yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> he's he's such a great antagonist even though at the same time like the script still gives him like some interesting bits like i love also how this movie is a movie about filmmaking in terms of just like small things like when he talks about like cody smith mcphee who plays the cinematographer who's just like like film school kid and he's just like look i don't think he's gonna be able to shoot black people oh that's just racist no that's like a genuine thing like black people reflect light in a different way than white people do right and you know the thing is too there's that and then there's also you know, even the scene where he takes uh, Rudy Moore aside, he's like, you know, use that shit. Mm-hmm. He's like, everything that's been going on, use it. Put it in your character. So he's still trying to make a good movie. Yes. It's just, 
it's just it's so expertly done i absolutely am enamored by this film like it, it after i watched it I messaged you and like oh now i have to watch dolomite and i did and if i hadn't seen this movie i don't think i could sit through dolomite it's so bad i yeah i will say that like dolomite of like the four that i watched is like it, it's interesting just in terms of like okay this is a low very low budget badly produced but kind of entertaining in places black exploitation movie i would firmly recommend to anybody especially the human tornado which a lot of scenes in this movie are like recreations of sequence from the human tornado particularly the bit where like he's having sex with the lady and he's like bitch are you for real and then he jumps out and the instant replay is going on that's out of human tornado and that movie's insane but even then like also pd wheatstraw is fun where he's it's literally he plays a comedian who ends up getting murdered by rival comedian comedy club guys. And the devil says, I'll bring you back and you can use a cane to get your revenge if you marry my daughter. <laughs> what in the hell? And then Disco Godfather <laughs> is about him trying to single-handedly stop a angel dust drug ring. Um, and he's like a former cop slash disco DJ who is now like trying to destroy like all the angel dust and ends up going on a weird trip out sequence. It's like one of the most bizarre endings in a movie I've ever seen. This is good Godfather. At some point, we are going to cover one of those rewrite movies as a bad pick. I'll wait a bit, but we definitely need to cover at least one yeah. of them <laughs> as a bad pick on the show. I'm totally about that shit. Yes, uh, but but no, at the same time, you still get at least, like, the enthusiasm of, like, a low-budget production. Like, the reason I fell in love with this, really, when I watch is, like, it's everything I love, especially about, like, scrappy weirdos making a movie. Like, it's the Muppet movie. It's, like, the little rascals putting on a show. It's not that uncommon from that, but also it adds, like, a bit of, like, the black angle to it in a way that even for like it's not just like, like black guys against like the white hollywood system even like Rudy Moore tries to like make it at like a black exploitation like production company they're like no man we're not gonna do this with you we get like fred williamson and like other people like that you're not that type like this is even lower yeah. than like a niche already yeah we're gonna go and do core brand earl and me which I don't know if you've ever seen Cornbread Earl and Me, but oh, boy. I was not aware that was a real movie. That It makes sense. I could see that being like a late 70s movie in particular. That's Lawrence Fishburne's first movie. He's a little boy in it. Oh, wow. But, uh, and just the caliber of actors that just pop up in these bit parts in this movie. It, it's pretty fantastic. And, you know, Keegan-Michael Key is really good in it, too. I mean, it's just where he wants to, you know, really do something for the black community. And he gets roped into doing this this fucking movie and just his constant looks at his face like what are we doing <laughs> like it's just it's so funny to me yeah and he perfectly captures jerry jones who was the screenwriter guy that worked with rudy maymore um perfectly especially like i also love how so just as a like a thing about like not just filmmaking but like writing in general this movie perfectly captures like the awkwardness of like writer's block like in the sequence where mm-hmm. rudy maymore is doing the whole like i gotta like rework this joke and rework this punchline and all this other stuff it masterfully depicts that kind of like frustration and kind of like working through the problems while writing stuff down wonderfully. It's a great movie about just like any creative process. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think that's incredibly accurate. In fact, that, I mean, that's basically what the movie's about. Yeah. The movie's about just being a creative person and, and not finding your outlet properly, you know, until you he finally does. And he just capitalizes on, on it in every possible way. And it ends up, not being a huge runaway success for him, but he was still pretty successful with it. And, you know, it's it's basically the, he, I mean, the whole crux of the story is you're never too old to sort of go for your dream and achieve your dream. As long as you got the chutzpah and the, the sort of passion behind it, you can do it. 
Right, and even that the dream isn't necessarily being, like, the biggest star in the world. It's finding, like, a following. Especially at this point, like, there's a great sequence where they, like, they're trying to sell his record albums earlier on, and he can't, like, get anybody to sell them. And the one production company, like, hears it and just like, oh, what, is this going to cross over with whites? It's like, no, it'll cross over with people, like, black people who are able to, like, buy stuff not out of a trunk like he's doing right now. Like, it, right. it shows, like, niche audiences are actually, like, able to, like, glom onto stuff like this. And that it's not even about getting the biggest audience. It's about getting a very loyal, if small, audience to follow you. And it it's beautifully tells that kind of story. Absolutely. I was so happy that I had the opportunity to pick this. If I had watched this when it came out, it would have definitely been one of my tops of the year. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and it's down to, like, we kind of mentioned the ending stuff, but it's, it's, I'm so astonished every time I watch this movie about how, like, phenomenally it earns, like, its beautiful, happy ending, and how perfectly it all fits together in a way that it might have been totally accurate to Rudy Ray Moore, but it still fits wonderfully. Even, like you said, like, there's the bit where, like, Eddie Murphy looks off into the crowd and sees everybody, like, adoring him, and later reads, like, come on, let's watch the movie. I've watched it so many times. You watch it. They're out there for Dolomite. Yeah, they're gonna be out there till two in the morning. At least I can do is give them Dolomite. Yeah, and it's 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 so wonderful yeah. and really like, it makes you feel like the swell of the movies, the love of the movies. Yes, I, I, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. That's very accurate. And also, shout out, we haven't mentioned much about him, but the director is Craig Brewer, who previous to this had done Hustle and Flow and is in directed Coming to America. The only reason I'm at all curious about Coming to America, honestly, at this point is that he is the director. Because, like, I think, like, this movie looks so stylish in a way that, like, works perfectly for it. Even down to, like, the style that fits appropriately for, like, either when they're up at their height or in the shittiest circumstances. Like, the look of the hotel where they have, like, the studios. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how perfectly run down it looks. It's just filled with prostitutes and junkies. And they turn it into their studio. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, I, I hope, like, he can at least kind of bring, especially, like, it's a great example of, like, a comedy that actually looks good, and how rare that is, honestly, at this point, it doesn't look, like, very manufactured. It works so perfectly for, like, the style of, like, the 70s era, and even just, like, the, the montages that happen, like, I love Craig Robinson, like, producing the song and shit in the studio, all that other stuff. It's, like, I love the bit, too, where Eddie Murphy's, like, going through the different radio ads, like, now playing at the Crown Theater, Dolomite. <laughs> now playing at this theater, Dolomite. Like, it, it really, like, captures that kind of, like, run-down aesthetic, but, like, the work ethic, just in the style of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, this is exactly what old-school independent filmmaking was. To where you, it's up to you, whoever is, you know, writing, starring, directing, whatever you want to call it, to promote the movie and make it get seen. You know, there's no studio behind this. It's all sort of Gorilla Roots filmmaking at its finest. And, and it's it's perfectly done. Because even in the scenes where, you know, he has to pay $500 to get his movie shown, you're like, oh, fuck. But then he does it, and you're like, oh, yeah, he's successful. And it, it's, it's another one of those movie moments to where you're like, yeah, go right <laughs> more. It just makes you feel good. There's a lot of feel-good moments in this movie. Now, I, I'm also curious, because this get, got Eddie Murphy a lot of acclaim. He got a Golden Globe nomination. What do you think he needs to carry from this if he wants to like, really, like, I guess, go into his final stage of his career with like a good note? just the passion behind it you can just it oozes off the screen that this is something he was totally passionate about and wanted to make and wanted to get seen and if he can even keep a modicum of that for anything he does next i mean then there's no question 
the sort of twilight of Eddie Murphy's career is going to be incredibly fun, interesting, and successful. Yeah, if nothing else, I hope he's able to do more stuff with, like, we should mention this is a Netflix movie. Like we talked about last week with Netflix, they have a weird, like, huge variety of movies. And I love the fact that people even make something like this, where this is like a mid-budget comedy that would never get made for a theatrical release. Like, never. Yeah. would not give a single fuck. He tried to for, like, 20 years or so, and no one, like, gave a shit until Netflix, like, stabbed it up. Which, you know, to be honest, in a way is a good thing. Because 20 years ago, Eddie Murphy playing this role, I don't think would have worked as well. No, right. It's weird. He's playing 10 years older than Rudy Moore, but he looks pretty much like in the sort of physical, like, body type, like a Rudy Moore. It's also, it's, it's him embracing sort of like his older age in a way he hasn't done before either. Yeah, I agree. It's him just sort of accepting what he is now and the type of actor he's potentially going to be for sort of the rest of his career. And it's just, even in that level, it's sort of awe-inspiring to where he knows exactly the type of person he is now, that exactly what he can offer now, the type of actor he is. He's not trying to be sort of still the young, fun, hip guy. Like, he's doing parts that are sort of tailor-made for him, and, and it works just beautifully. Yeah, I think, honestly, I'll spin that off to my final thoughts, where I will say I'm so glad we picked this, because I will genuinely say this is his best performance, I think, in anything, because I think it has the perfect uh, mix yeah. of, like, his dramatic chops and also his comedy chops to make this character who is, like, so entertaining and so funny consistently to watch, but also is, like, so charming and you want to see him succeed, like you're mentioning. He's the true underdog, especially at, like, such an older age that he's able to, like, succeed as much as he has and find an adoring fan base that really, like, follows him and will be influenced by him later. It's, it's like I said, it's a really silly movie that's so funny throughout most of it and also has, like, some of this, like, filmmaking comedy stuff that, like, really works. But by the end of it, I'm, like, tearing up because it's, like, such a beautifully investing story. And, yeah, I... I would definitely say if you are an Eddie Murphy fan, don't even know that much about Dolomite, uh, see it. You have if you have Netflix, watch that shit immediately. Yeah, or if you're even a biopic fan, mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth it for that. Not even don't wrong. Of course, Eddie Murphy being great and it's a huge plus, but just on a biopic level alone, it, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, or even if you want to see, especially like lower scale black artists find success. Even it's it's a beautiful story about all that. Uh, but do you have any final thoughts to add, Adam, yourself? Uh, I mean, like I said, it's just I, this is one that I'm glad I waited to watch. Uh, I think it sort of fits perfectly with our topic, especially, uh, you know, when we do actor uh, or even when we do director person centric episodes. This to me is one of the best examples of uh, a really good and a really bad or even just sort of these different stages in someone's career. It hits on every level. If you're an Eddie Murphy fan, it's worth it. If you're into black exploitation, it's worth it. If you're into sort of independent filmmaking and how it's done, especially of this era, it's worth it. Or if you just are really into feel good, sort of wholesome biopics, it's, it's worth it for that. This is damn near a perfect movie. Yes, for sure. Uh, but thank you for uh, joining us for that discussion. But stay tuned, especially because I will be picking our two movies for next week at the end of this one. So uh, make sure to stay around for that. But first, we got some feedback to read because all y'all at uh, at DEDBpod on Twitter and Facebook, we ask you every Monday or so about like, hey, what are your favorite or least favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? 
So we asked y'all about Eddie Murphy, and some people contributed, like James Rodriguez, who says, uh, My favorites from Eddie Murphy tend to be when he's allowed to run loose while acting against somebody else, particularly in coming to American trading places. The excellent Bowfinger shows him into and against type uh, with his dual roles, and even some of his more family-friendly films are worth your time, particularly the first two Shreks. Uh, the worst films I've seen uh, where Eddie Murphy's on autopilot, opting for poor family films like Shrek the Third or Daddy Daycare, or uh, jumping into a fat suit for cheap laughs like Norbit and especially Night Professor 2, The Clumps, uh, with its scene of a giant hamster raping Larry Miller. Jonathan uh, to McHale at Black underscore Gendo says, uh, Coming to America is my cornerstone Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, Eddie's at his best, no matter which character he's playing while showcasing a jam-packed cast. Uh, Dr. Doolittle 2 is the first Eddie Murphy movie to break my heart. Not the worst film, but it led to many non-Shrek flops for Eddie. Uh, Christian Alvarez says Eddie Murphy is a comedic talent who has been big since his debut on Saturday Night Live, and hopefully his recent resurgence continues. My favorites of his would be Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, Dream Girls, and Dolabite is My Name. My least favorites are probably Meet Dave, The Haunted Mansion, and despite being a guilty pleasure of mine, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Uh, the Rusted Robot Podcast, at the Rusted Robot Podcast, a uh, fellow podcast on the ESO Network, says, uh, let's say Norbit is the worst and Beverly Hills Cop is the best. Uh, hey Zeus says, best is coming to America, worst is some Shrek shit. And I guess uh, one where he wears a fat suit. And then Ryan Quarterman, our buddy, says, uh, best Tower Heist, not best Eddie Murphy movie, just best movie, period. What a fucking But, uh, you know, the thing is, I, I, I will say that I think as far as old school Eddie Murphy, comedic Eddie Murphy, I, I do think Coming to America is probably his best. Uh, Train Place is right up there for me, but Coming to America is just phenomenal. But I, I do still stick with kind of what you said, and I echo it that, you know, best Eddie Murphy, period, is Dolomite. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I would agree. That I think Coming to America is, like, the best is sort of, like, classic Eddie in particular. I think mm -hmm. it has, like, so like all the different characters he plays and also really, once again, giving nice spots for black town like arsenio hall um all the way down to like kuba gooding jr is one of the kids at the barber shop at a certain point like it's, it's such a like diverse cast and it's probably the best i would say of him playing different characters in terms of like the actual performances like down to yes. even the, the white jewish guy like he does perfectly <laughs> sexual chocolate sexual chocolate of course perfect sexual chocolate's so good and even to certain people, like, steal even moments from him, like a John Amos. It's just like, look, I'm McDowell's. I'm very different from McDonald's <laughs> and shit like that. Or Samuel Jackson popping up as the crackhead very early in his career. The, land, the landlord. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, I can uh, never remember. Uh, Frankie Faison, I believe. Faison. Yeah, if you've seen any Signs of Lambs things. Yes. He's in everything. Uh, but yeah, your rents do, motherfucker. Don't be pulling that falling down the stairs shit on me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and also it's like I said, it's one of those other examples where like it's it, despite like how filthy and R-rated it is, it's also like a weird like romantic story. Despite that, I really like the 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 love interest in that movie is one of the few examples where like she's not the most developed character, but she makes so much out of like she's a career woman. She doesn't want to like be involved with like the solo cool guy Eric LaSalle being so perfect. Oh, so so good. Oh so god. Good. So but I like I, along with like being just so funny, I genuinely get swept up in their their romantic encounter. Like it's one of the few times in those 80s comedies where it's like, yeah, I buy that relationship. I think that works. Yeah, me too. 
I get why they would appeal to each other. Right. As opposed to, like, I, I rewatched Trading Places. I've said this many times before. I think Trading Places is pretty perfect the first two-thirds of it. And then the moment they get on that train, it starts, like, it doesn't, like, sink to the bottom level. But it just, like, it really dips off, I would argue, after that point. Man, I still think it's pretty fucking funny, man. I, 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 that, I, I don't really... To me, there's not really a lull in that movie. I think the movie's pretty solid from beginning to end. I, just, I, I love it. I just think it hits particular heights, like, earlier on. Like, especially the bit where Eddie Murphy is, like, the homeless guy pretending to be, like, legless. And the bit yeah. where the cops pick him up, he's like, I got legs. And I can see, oh, thank you so much. It's, like, perfect Eddie <laughs> comedy beat. Yes, I am Inga from Sweden. But you're wearing later. I was in... <laughs> They're fucking up their own plan. So funny to me. That's that's, that's around where I, I I'm not as big. It feels very sitcommy at that point to me when they're in the different disguises. Even before Dan Aykroyd comes in with his disguise, I think that just yeah. Like, yeah, yeah that yeah. scenario isn't necessarily that interesting. Because they're dumb. That's why I think it's funny because they're all stupid as shit. Like, why would they think this would work? Like, that's why I think it's funny. It's the dumbest scheme. I don't uh, know. I I think I think Trey Place is great. I love the Mortimers. Oh, of course, you yeah. Uh, Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy are so fucking funny yeah. in that movie. Your brother's having a heart attack. Fuck him! Fuck him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll thank uh, you in Sweden when I get the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> if you like that, yeah, really hey, great. get out of here. I'll gouge out your eyes and piss out of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Gleason, yes, of course, of uh, Breakfast Club, and other things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'll also say with, like, uh, some people mentioned, like, Bowfinger... I would say it's not my favorite Eddie Murphy movie, but I, his turn as the nerdy guy is one of my favorite performances of his. He's he's fantastic in it. Other than that, I am not a big fan of that movie, but I think he's really good in it. If you want to talk about something where like sort of the last third of it really sort of gets too silly for me, that Bowfinger is a prime example for me on that, especially the end. We're all of a sudden they're in a karate movie together and shit. It's, it's just too stupid. Man, shit like Eddie Murphy doing the audition. Where, like, are you willing to be <laughs> naked? And he was that weird smile like, I, I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's so fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then she dude. He's like, you're doing great. <laughs> um, and you, oh, you know what? Doing, wow. doing my research, honestly, for the show, like, I will say The Nanny Professor was one I worried about going back to. But I'll say uh-huh. it like actually holds up a lot better than I remembered, particularly because it's a much more sympathetic portrayal of like larger people than like yes. I, like are remembered. Because especially like Sherman Clump, despite being like sort of a comedic character who has like some like a few problems where it's like oh your weight gets in the way of this particular bit or whatever, he's a very sympathetic and they're very empathetic to him and his plight as a character. And if nothing else, like despite like some of the fart jokes or whatever. The scenes were like he's at the dinner table and he is ninety percent of the characters is like filmmaking magic. So that's the last last be- uh, good example of Eddie Murphy playing multiple characters. Mm-hmm. It's really really well done because they're all definable for different reasons too, and they're all completely different. It never it doesn't you know it's Eddie Murphy, but they all feel like their own character. Um, yeah, I really still kind of enjoy the Nutty Professor, the first one. The sequel is like. There's no need to talk about it. But yeah, the first one, I think it's still really cute. And also, I would say a good gateway movie for if you want to get maybe your not young, young kids, but, you know, preteen to early teenager kids into Eddie Murphy. I think The Nutty Professor would be a good example of that. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, one that I hadn't actually seen before but decided to watch prior to the show was Boomerang. And I think yes. it's, like, honestly a much better movie than people give it credit for. Uh, it kind of got, like, lost in the shuffle of his post-coming-to-America time. And I think, like, it's at least interesting for him having, like, once again, so much young black talent at the time. Like, Halle Berry's first big movie. Um, and uh, the David Allen Greer, um, the t- fucking Eartha Kitt is, like, so Shit, fucking man. funny in that movie. That's the Boys to Men song fucking basically made them, too. Yes, that's true. From that I mean, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Boomerang's terrible. It's not great, but it's. I think Boomerang's perfectly fine. I mean, if nothing else, just for the fact that, like, it's the first time Eddie Murphy ever worked with a black director and had, like, such a black cast assembled for a movie that's basically, like, would be played by, like, a bunch of white people in, like, particularly, like, the Cary Grant era. It feels like one of those, which is like, oh, I'm a successful businessman who runs a business and I'm kind of in love with this other lady who's a big power type. Um, and just having it be a fully black cast and being, like, a, a real adult sort of, like, story in particular. I think, like, it, it's really fun that I never recommend it to anybody. But what about, like, the worst? What would you say is, like, some of the worst stuff to you, Adam? Oh, man. The Golden Child is pretty bad. Obviously, we mentioned Norbit. I can't think of the name of it for the life of me, but the one with him and um, Jeff Goldblum, where he's, like, a guru. Holy man? <laughs> yeah, that's really bad. Seven words. I think a thou- that's what A thousand called. words, sir. A thousand words, right? After. You sold them short by quite a bit of words. Yeah, it's still unwatchably bad. <laughs> um, that's the thing. When Eddie Murphy has done bad, they're really bad. Yeah, that's true. Even like one, I wouldn't say it's really bad. This is when he got a lot of flag for at the time. And I just consider more of like, it's an interesting failure because I saw it for the first time. The only movie he directed of Harlem Nights, which was like a yeah. big deal because like he managed to get like Red Fox and Richard Pryor. It was the only movie that like all three of them were together. And I give him credit for at least doing that, having once again like a pretty big black ensemble. But I think you really see the pressure of him being like writer, director, and star in that movie. Where there's like certain points where he like stumbles over his own words and those takes are like left in the movie. And I'm like really baffled by like, what is this decision? Like there's a lot of weird decisions that just make it like, I get why it was not liked at the time, but it's not like a disaster. It's just like a, a misstep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Harlem, uh, Harlem Nights is, it's a very interesting prime Eddie Murphy film. It, it, there's a lot of potential there. I, I agree. It's not necessarily capitalized on um, as well as it could be, but I don't think it's the worst movie he's done by any means. Yeah, honestly, the, the saddest thing just watching it is how weird, like, it's not too long before Red Fox died, but he even is more lively than Richard Pryor, who, like, it's been said, like, that was him in full, like, multiple sclerosis territory. Like, not too yeah. long after that, he stopped acting. And you can kind of tell he feels kind of stiff and can't really do Exhausted. much, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I still think it's a fine movie. It's not the worst. It's not the best. It, it is what it is. If you don't ever want to watch it, you can skip it. But if you do, I, I don't think, like, you'd be that offended by it. There's a lot worse ways you could spend your time watching that Eddie Murphy movie, for sure, <laughs> as we've mentioned. Um, great costumes and period production design, though, for, like, that Harlem era. Um, it looks really great. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll say also just in terms of like, we haven't talked much about Beverly Hills cop, my hot take, I prefer Beverly Hills cop two to one. I think I like them both equally to be Mm -hmm. honest. I I don't think I I prefer one or the other. I think they're both really good. Uh, it'd be interesting to sort of go back and rewatch them back to back. I haven't done that in a while, but I, I remember liking both of them pretty equally. 
I just remember when I saw Beverly Hills Cop when I was younger, because I was such a big Eddie Murphy fan. I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait. And he's funny in it, but also you can tell that, like, even before I knew about the Sylvester Stallone stuff, like, this is not really a movie. It's just, like, Eddie Murphy's being funny, and there's a vague plot keeping this together. Whereas I think Beverly Hills Cop 2 kind of went in knowing that would be the case, and is more, like, especially stylish, like, Tony Scott's direction in fucking yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 2 is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous-looking movie. There's also a lot more fun stuff, particularly the the Gilbert Gottfried cameo. I think is so fucking funny. Yeah, yeah it's really good. <laughs> I would also go on and say that I think uh, another 48 Hours is is really good too. Is it as good as 48 Hours? I don't know, but I think another 48 Hours is a really good sequel. I, I've not seen another 48 Hours, so I can't really judge that. It's 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 fun, dude. It's it's good. It's I don't know if it's as good as the original, but the thing is, it doesn't feel like it's a repeat of the original. And the chemistry between him and Nolte is still really fun in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I like another 48 Hours. I think it's a pretty decent movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even the original 48 Hours, obviously, if you've not seen 48 Hours, it's interesting, especially going back to it, because it's a lot more racially charged than you might have remembered it being. And it's, <laughs> it's even less of a comedy. Yeah, it's basically a, dr- a drama action piece. Right, with just Eddie Murphy has like some fun bits, because he's Eddie Murphy. And once again, he's like 21. I know, time. he's a baby. Yeah, it's literally a baby in it. <laughs> well, not literally. That would be interesting. But forty-eight hours, babies. I'm surprised he hasn't made a movie where he was a baby. <laughs> yeah, I, forty-eight hours is still good, though. I mean, it's still really, really good. Yeah, particularly, I love the. It's also one of his best-looking movies, like Walter Hill directing it. Like the whole, all the stuff in Chinatown looks gorgeous. Mm. The way it's lit and everything, it's phenomenal. But thank you all for all that feedback. We also want to thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and after music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And also thanks to our supporters at Patreon, patreon.com slash gedbpod, where uh, you can, uh, for just $1 a month, listen to bonus podcasts we do or uh, participate in voting for movies and topics that we do for the show. And uh, you can listen right now as we're talking to our most recent bonus episode where we talk about our top 10 robots and TV and film. It was an interesting spirited discussion with a lot of twists and turns you might not expect. Yeah, man, that was a fun one, though. That was a really fun one. I, I enjoyed doing that quite a bit. Uh, you know, I broke the rules a little bit, but, you know, I don't give a fuck. It's my show. He's a rebel, <laughs> a renegade. Um, yeah, and of course, we can't go too long, by the way, without mentioning robots. With Right after we recorded that, we found out the sad news that Daft Punk is broken up. I know. What the fuck is that? Oh, wait. A, like, I don't have enough going on in my life. <laughs> Way to ruin any modicum of a hope I had for music to be fucking anything anymore. Daft Punk can't make it. What hope do I have for any relationship? Oh. <laughs> Especially the sad video of just like one of them explodes. Like, Jesus, you're, you're making this really fun. I know. <laughs> By the way, listen to our Tron Legacy commentary for right before Daft Punk broke up. <laughs> I was talking about how much yeah, we love Daft Punk. Oh, it's one of the best scores ever, ever done on yes. film. But yeah, god damn it. Well, if you want some joy in your life, why don't you follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, or uh, you can even submit feedback to us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you can also just feel a bit happier by buying some merchandise with our logo on it over at tpublic.com slash stores slash the ESO Broadcasting Network, uh, where you can buy a t-shirt a mug, or even a mask to stay safe uh, with our lovely logo. Yeah, you should, because I'm broke. I'm broke, son. 
Yes, we get a bit of a kickback from that. So we would definitely appreciate if you were to uh, buy our merchandise. Buy our merch. Buy our merch. Uh Aw, you fucker. Yep. You took my critic joke. (laughs) I took your thing you took. I'll give it to you. (laughs) Uh, But for more of uh, things I take from people, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy. I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.WordPress.com. And I also wanted to give a shout-out to FilmCred, which friend of the show, Sarah Sorrentino, um, is the big person behind that. Um, on their Patreon, they put out a zine every month with articles and stuff, and they're doing one uh, for a puppet zine where they're talking about, like, Muppets and other stuff. And uh, maybe, you know, it's not a bad time to become a patron because you can also read a little blurb I put in about the Muppets myself. Oh, shit. I am on Twitter and Facebook at Atom or Adam. It's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. You find me on there. It's mostly just uh, random thoughts or pictures of paintings I've done or things like that uh, or my dogs. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to find me on there, go ahead and, you know, send me a follow request on Instagram or follow me on Twitter. I'll engage. I'll share stuff. And uh, one thing I want to add, uh, you know, because if you do follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen, you know, I'm going through things in my personal life, as we all are. And I just want to say to everybody who's listening, things are hard right now for everybody. But the fact of the matter is, it could always be worse. You can always survive. You are good. You are a strong person. Don't let anything beat you. Get good people in your corner. And that's one thing I want to say to you, Thomas. I, I thank you for always being there for me every week, always being there for me when I need someone to talk to. You've made uh, sort of this last year and a half, or however long the goddamn pandemic's been, last five years, if you want to call it that, uh, much easier to navigate through. And for that, I will always be eternally grateful to you. And if I'm able to do that for anybody who's listening, um, you don't have to thank me. I just hope that, you know, if you're our listener, we care about you and we do love you. Oh, Adam, I'm getting off a clamped over here. I didn't expect this at all. I'm genuinely touched. And if you want to be genuinely touched in your own way, why not subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO, why not dig into uh, the other great shows that are on the network? Or you can uh, go ahead and get into our archives on our Podbean channel for a bunch of episodes even before we started uh, posting with ESO. And if nothing else, if you can't buy our merch, if you can't be a patron for just a dollar, we would really appreciate the absolute free publicity of you rating reviewing or sharing the show around to give us a bit more visibility out there grow the cult we want to be like a dolomite style cult we want our niche to really grow yeah (laughs) yes well said now adam it's time to end the show but first we gotta do our one last thing here which is our picking for next week and uh, we've already gotten half of that done because over at patreon.com uh you all voted you edgelords for um, one of the picks for next week's topic, which in honor of Raya and the Last Dragon is coming on Disney Plus for the weird premiere like pricing thing they're still doing, like they did with Mulan. Which is a bummer, because I'm curious about that movie, but I'm not going to pay $30 for that, along with my Disney no. Plus thing. No. You all over there helped pick for the Disney Animated Features canon episode that we're doing next, which, for the record, is any of the movies produced by like Walt Disney Features Animation, not Pixar, Any of the subsidiaries, the main arm that's been making movies since 1937 with Snow White all the way to Rey and the Last Dragon here in 2021. Um, And I'm 
excited. We've kind of dipped in these waters before, but it's been a while, Adam. I'm curious to get back into this uh, this well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's face it. If if you like movies, period, uh, chances are you are either a Disney fan or, well, actually, no, chances are nowadays you like a Disney movie, whether it's the animation or something else they uh, sort of have acquired. But the fact of the matter is it all starts somewhere. And I think that sort of the Disney animation zeitgeist, if you want to call it that or whatever you want to call it, is one of the most important sort of movements in uh, film history. Though none of them match up to the greatest Disney film of all time that we discussed here, The Haunted Mansion. None of them. Country Bears. Oh, that's true. Country Bears is slightly better. You're right. Good point. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, but Adam, uh, you had the bad picks for this. I had the good picks. And usually we would each pick a number between one and ten for each other's choices. And that gets us the good and bad feature for next week. But like I said, the patrons over at patreon.com slash dedvpod voted for your bad pick, which was between Brother Bear and then the ultimate winner, which was the Black Cauldron, the infamous sort of black sheep of the Disney anime features canon. Thank you, Edgelords, by the way, for picking Black Cauldron. I did not want to sit through Brother Bear. But Black Cauldron, if you don't like it, it's at least fascinating. That's true. There's a lot that we're going to be able to discuss next week. But Adam, I have my two good picks. So go ahead and pick a number between one and ten for him. Um, let's go number two. Okay. At number three, I actually had a movie that at least meant a lot to me when I was younger. I've seen it since, and I still really enjoy it and think it's underrated in certain aspects, but it's definitely got a fair share of problems. I have the uh, 1996 feature, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ooh. All right. That's one of my wife's favorites. Uh, I think I've seen that in its entirety once. I was not a fan of it when it came out, uh, so that'll be interesting to revisit. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but yeah, that'll be interesting. All right, all right. And what was your other pick? At number seven, I had um, one of the classics, the second feature in the Disney animated canon, Pinocchio. I got to tell you, I'm glad we didn't get that one. Uh, oh, okay. It's not that I don't like. It's not that I don't like it. It's just I, I've seen that movie eight million times. And to the point to where it, it, I've almost lost appreciation for it because I've seen it so many times. It's it's almost like a comfortable shoe that you've worn to to beat to shit. And now you're just like, oh, I got to get new shoes. A shoe made by <laughs> uh, the toy maker Geppetto. Yeah. Well, at least we get to spare ourselves a lot of the bad Italian sort of accents. What are you talking about? My authentic Italian accent? Not counting, not counting your own. No, of not course. Not counting yes. your, your natural speaking voice. Like, you think you sound like a normal person. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, pick a good movie. Yeah. It's a good, huh? <laughs> Every time we turn off the mics, folks, that's our after chatter talk. Sounds exactly yep. like that. Um, but yeah, so Hunchback of Notre Dame and uh, the Black Cauldron. Two of, I would argue, yeah, two of the lesser sort of beloved I would say, of the Disney animated can. That'll be fascinating. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited for it. Yes, uh, but until next time, everybody, um, it's time that, uh, you know, Adam and I get out of here and go to our spooky haunted mansion over in uh, the swamps. I'm sure it'll be fine and no ghosts will show up. Buy our stuff! <laughs> Buy our stuff! <laughs> Good night.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.